This morning's gospel passage is a great example of sort of two trajectories. Jesus descending in great humility, riding into Jerusalem, leaving the glories of heaven to the depths of the agony of the cross. At the same time, as the people take this arrogant trajectory upward, at the beginning, saying Jesus is above them, giving him Hosanna, calling him king, and very soon putting him down and calling to crucify him. There's a story of the bricklayer, and uh, he was fixing a building. This is, was his part of his request for sick leave. He said, I got to the top of the building, and I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks. So he rigged up a beam and a pulley, and he pulled up a couple of barrels, secured it at the bottom, and uh, went upstairs and put the bricks all in the empty barrels. So he went down and held onto the rope and un unwound the rope that was secured, but found out that now the bricks were heavier than he was, and as they, he was going up, it was coming down and hit him on the shoulder, but he held on, went to the top, and banged his head on the beam and caught his fingers in the pulley. When he got up there, the, brick, the barrel of bricks had hit the bottom and uh, crashed and broke, so all the bricks came out of the barrel. So now he was heavier than the barrel, and he went back up, and uh, on the way up, hit the, uh, on his way down, and the bricks on the way up, he hit his shins and hurt the shins. When he got to the bottom, he fell on the bricks, and he lost his mind, so he let go of the rope, and the empty barrels came down and hit him again on the top of the head. And he said, I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> I tell that story, it might seem like a lighthearted beginning to a sermon on Passion Sunday. But I tell this story just to help you understand the movement that's going on in the story. But also the lighthearted nature helps us to highlight what's going on. Almost the trivialness of the shouts of Hosanna. They had not counted the cost. They had not thought it through. They were not committed to Christ. But being led along with the rest of the crowd, they shouted, Hosanna. Jesus descends in great humility. And the people turn on Christ and ascend in, arrogant, in their arrogant will, brashly asserting themselves. The King of Glory enters Jerusalem to shouts of welcome and praise. But this Jesus does not fit their idea of what a king should be and do. This is not the Messiah they were expecting and he doesn't follow their script. And their allegiance to him as king was weak and fickle. On Passion Sunday, we have a front row to the drastic, dramatic shift and swing from Hosanna to crucify. But we soon realize that we are not observers, but participants complicit in the affair. We begin by ascribing honor and adulation but we quickly rise up against Jesus and join in the words crucify and understand that what he did, he did for, on our behalf and because of our sin. Jesus is not coming to Jerusalem and the temple as a guest or a tourist or a visitor, but he is indeed coming home to the temple, his rightful spot. This is all captured poetically in the epistle that was read this morning from Philippians. This is verses 6 to 11 uh, are considered by scholars to be uh, a poem either penned by Paul or uh, used by Paul. Someone, some Christian follower who had poetically described this descent of Christ and then his exaltation. 
F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, says this about how authors construct a story. He says, mostly we authors must repeat ourselves. That's the truth. We have two or three great moving experiences in our lives. Experiences so great and moving that it doesn't seem at the time that anyone else has been caught up and pounded and dazzled and astonished and beaten and broken and rescued and illuminated and rewarded in just that way ever before. This was the experience of Paul, of understanding the great humility of Christ and what he did for us. And he did it in stages, leaving heaven, becoming human, becoming a servant, embracing death, even death on the cross. And as a result of that, God exalted him so that in his name, every knee would bow and every tongue confess. In verse 5, then, Paul, in introducing this poem, and by the way, it's a National Poetry Month, so it's rather fitting that we're looking at a poem in the New Testament. In verse 5, he introduced, Paul introduces the poem by saying, have this mind among yourselves. What's it mean to have the mind of Jesus in ourselves? Was it just an example? I think it's more than that. As we followers of Jesus as Messiah gather around his table, we take him into ourselves. We seek as much as we can to participate in his death and in his life. We are called to journey with him, to know that he is with us, leading the way. Jesus, who divested himself of the privileges and prerogatives that were his by right, gladly gave them up for love. And it's called Passion Sunday. The Greeks believed in, a, in gods who were without passion. Because to have passion indicated that one could be changed. And if one could be changed, then you didn't start out as perfect. The Hebrews and, and Jesus, uh, in revealing that God, reveals a God who is different. A God of love. A God of mercy. A God who is angry at the sin which hurts others and fractures our relationship with one another and compromises our relationship with God. Jesus portrayed a God who weeps and snorts at the death of his friend, Lazarus. And so the humility portrayed in Philippians, this mind we are to have in ourselves, is not a call to a life of complacency or acquiescence or passive discipleship, it is rather a call to passion. Now, there's lots of people with passion in the world that we see on the news. Passionate with hate, passionate with evil, passionate to hurt others. Do you know the poem by William Butler Yeats called The Second Coming? Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, the blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. So how do we respond to a world like that? How do we have the mind of Christ 
to live that love into this world. But just as Jesus in humility descended from the safety and glory of heaven to embrace a world of chaos and messiness, so he calls us to accompany him on the journey, called by Jesus to go with him, to descend, to be present, even to those beneath us, different from us, opposed to us, even to those who are strangers and prisoners and refugees and politicians, to question our prejudices in faith and hope and love, to leave our security and our comfort zone to follow him into this world. So may God give us grace. I think I told you, I asked some kids the other day uh, what the church would look like if it behaved more like a sports team. And one of the kids said, we would yell at each other more. I said, what do you mean we would yell at each other more? He said, you know, Father Wismer, when you're in the midst of a big game and you really want to win and you really want the team to do their best, you yell at them. I don't want us to be yelling at each other, but we as followers of Jesus need to encourage and support and egg each other on to a life of passionate love for his sake. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>